there's simply no ambiguity on the question of whether the supply is essential to Bitcoin. Bitcoin's supply schedule cannot change because Bitcoin is the supply schedule. Any alteration produces something that is decidedly non-Bitcoin. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I'm Guy Swan and this is Bitcoin Audible. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. Don't fear the Reaper. We are reading an excellent piece by Nick Carter today, returning author. Um, we've read many, many pieces by Nick on the show, and they are excellent. I will have some links to some of my favorites in the show notes for this one if you haven't uh, dug into some of his previous work. But this is over concerns about Bitcoin's long-term supply credibility are overblown, but not for the reasons you might think. This is just a really interesting perspective on the idea of securing and uh, keeping Bitcoin secure in a future beyond the subsidy, beyond the block subsidy. So before we get into it, uh, don't forget that you can support this show and uh, much love to all of my patrons and everybody who um, have been donating to this show for a long time and everybody in the Crypto Economy crew. I love hanging out with you guys and y'all are an awesome resource to have. Um, but uh, if you want to do that, you can go to patreon.com slash the crypto economy. Um, or of course, if you've got like a really cool Bitcoin project or something that you want to share out. Uh, hit me up at sponsor at thecryptoeconomy.com. I'd love to check it out. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and just jump into our read for the day, and then we will get into Guy's take afterward. And again, this one is titled, Don't Fear the Reaper. Concerns about Bitcoin's long-term supply credibility are overblown, but not for the reasons you might think. There's a popular view within the non-Bitcoin crypto industry that the more educated Bitcoiners are at best naive or at worst completely in denial on the topic of Bitcoin's long-term supply. Put simply, Bitcoin skeptics are fond of claiming that because in their view it's unlikely that Bitcoin will muster sufficient fees in the long term to compensate miners, Bitcoin will eventually be forced to add inflation in excess of the rate ordained by Satoshi. According to this argument, it's therefore misleading to characterize Bitcoin as being genuinely fixed in supply. Naturally, this argument is often intended, whether this is acknowledged or not, to justify the insertion of monetary discretion in other cryptocurrencies. Invariably, the, quote, right rate of issuance for these projects is understood to be non-zero in the long term. I believe this argument is plainly wrong. In this post, I will explain why I think it fails even if the core premise that fee-driven security might not be sufficient is a reasonable concern to hold. Lastly, I will explain why I believe that Bitcoiners have nothing to fear, regardless of whether fees are ultimately deemed to be sufficient or not. A brief note on supply. First of all, I'll point out the obvious. 
A hard cap on supply is not essential for something to be valuable. A commodity with a perpetually growing supply can have value as long as the world maintains some demand for the asset. Every commodity aside from Bitcoin has this quality, and they clearly have non-zero value. Second, the supply of a commodity, physical or digital, does not have to be known to the tiniest increment for it to possess a non-zero value. Gold is treated as a reliable means of wealth storage, but its supply is only vaguely known. Of course, Bitcoin is held to a higher standard of alterability because it is untethered from physical realities, and a bug can inflate supply arbitrarily. So we need to keep a closer eye on it. This piece is not about the merits of a hard cap or its role in maintaining a high unit value. Instead, it's about the relationship between that hard cap and the nature of Bitcoin. For the sake of this piece, I'm going to leave aside any prognostications as to Bitcoin's long-term security budget. I happen to believe that it's entirely plausible for Bitcoin to be secure in the long term based solely on fees, but I won't argue that here. Further, common stipulations that hypothetical future Bitcoin fees be a certain threshold to match current security spend make no sense. There's nothing special about today's security spend, which is merely a function of unit price and the issuance rate. Historically, Bitcoin has been secure across a range of security spends, ranging from $0 a day to $54 million a day. The Inflationist Dilemma Let's return to the core point. It's common for critics to point out that Bitcoin must add inflation. And as such, its disinflationary current nature is illusory. In the interest of specificity, let's reduce the argument in question to a syllogism. 1. Premise There is a possibility that one of Bitcoin's features, the predetermined issuance schedule, might render it fragile. 2. Premise A specific change, inserting issuance above the predetermined level, will be necessary in order to remediate that fragility. 3. Premise If one of your system features is guaranteed to change in the future, you cannot credibly name that feature as a durable constituent of the system. And 4. Conclusion Bitcoin at present includes the future obligation to change and therefore cannot be described as possessing the desirable feature of capped supply. I acknowledge the possibility of one, although I believe that these distant outcomes are both unforecastable and not as certain as critics let on. Three is trivially true. I reject both two and four. It is not guaranteed that if long reorgs were to start occurring due to a security shortfall, Bitcoiners would propose reinserting inflation. There are many alternative non-inflationary remedies ranging from the institutionalization of mining to coordinated counterattacks to soft forks to invalidate lengthy reorgs. And I also reject four, because as I will discuss in this piece, a system which reinserts additional inflation is a fundamentally new system and cannot be considered Bitcoin as Satoshi described it and as it's currently understood. Bitcoin, the thing we know today as Bitcoin, does not contain any assumption held either by its creator or the community that its supply is bound to deviate from its current trajectory. 
While an alternative version of Bitcoin may be created, which deviates from the ordained supply schedule, this would have as much claim to being Bitcoin as other forks which have changed critical features, like Bitcoin Cash, which is to say, a questionable one. So, it is false to assert that Bitcoin contains the embedded assumption by users that a change to the rate of issuance is either possible or necessary. While Satoshi's Bitcoin may yet fail, for any number of reasons, it cannot deviate from its supply schedule, because any deviation would entail the creation of an entirely new and distinct asset. And lastly, if a transition from Satoshi Bitcoin, i.e. the thing we call Bitcoin today, to a novel asset were to become necessary, it's in no way guaranteed that this would be a traumatic event. The thing that we call Bitcoin cannot suffer an alteration to its supply schedule because the supply schedule is intrinsic to the protocol, asset, and system. It's one of the very few features that Satoshi clearly stipulated and encoded in the original design with no ambiguity. And in the eyes of the broader community, the 21 million cap is perceived as inherent. Ask a Bitcoiner to define the system, and scarcity, fixed supply, and 21 million units will invariably be mentioned. There is no doubt that the system dubbed Bitcoin as baptized by Satoshi contained a deeply ingrained stipulation over the issuance rate and that this endures today in the popular conception of the asset. Examples Take this passage from the white paper, the first ever description of the Bitcoin system. Quote, Once a predetermined number of coins have entered circulation, the incentive can transition entirely to transaction fees and be completely inflation-free. Note the presence of predetermined. Satoshi had determined the number of coins prior to the protocol going live, and the white paper, the closest thing we have to a constitutional document, clearly stipulates that this could not change post-launch. Satoshi had already accounted for how miners would receive revenue in the post-issuance future. Now take the original content included on the first version of Bitcoin.org to describe Bitcoin. Quote, Total circulation will be 21 million coins. It'll be distributed to network nodes when they make blocks, with the amount cut in half every four years. First four years, 10,500,000 coins. Next four years, 5,250,000 coins. Next four years, 2,625,000 coins. Next four years, 1,312,500 coins, etc. On that page, Satoshi also describes Bitcoin's main properties, quote-unquote, one of which is no mint or other trusted parties. For supply to remain untrusted and for monetary discretion to remain absent in perpetuity, a predetermined issuance schedule would have to be adhered to. Picking an inflation rate which could respond to changing circumstances requires a trusted entity to make that choice. Satoshi was clearly not prepared to accept that. Satoshi reiterates their commitment to the hard cap in subsequent posts on Bitcoin Talk. Quote, Otherwise, we couldn't have a finite limit of 21 million coins because there would always need to be some minimum reward for generating. In a few decades, when the reward gets too small, the transaction fee will become the main compensation for nodes. End quote. 
There's simply no ambiguity on the question of whether the supply is essential to Bitcoin. Bitcoin's supply schedule cannot change because Bitcoin is the supply schedule. Any alteration produces something that is decidedly non-Bitcoin. Many Bitcoins will disagree with me on this point, arguing that we should adopt a more moderate stance and make our conception of Bitcoin malleable to account for potential contingencies like a change to the supply schedule. I disagree. I believe that Bitcoin is far more concrete and easier to reason about if we agree on its most essential features. It's this intransigence which has thus far warded off capture and perversion from projects which assumed the name yet which failed to instantiate Bitcoin's vital qualities. The biggest threat to Bitcoin isn't its outright failure. It's far too important now for the community to roll over and accept defeat, but rather its conceptual dilution. By committing to a firm vision of what Bitcoin is, we have a concrete notion to build towards and rally around. Bitcoin entitles you to its successor. That said, this does not mean that Bitcoiners are fated to fritter away on a doomed chain if Bitcoin should suffer some fatal flaw. While this is hardly a new point, it's worth reiterating. If Satoshi Bitcoin indeed falls out of favor, any worthy successor will be one which is allocated to all Bitcoin holders. This maneuver is not unlike Ethereum's impending transition. Ethereum 2.0 will have little in common with Ethereum 1.0, aside from the name and the fact that owning units in 1.0 entitles you to a pro-rata share of 2.0. While Bitcoin Cash and other such forks failed, they were on the right track from a distribution perspective. Any worthy Bitcoin successor will have to build atop the pillar of investment and thermodynamic security accumulated within Bitcoin which gave it such vibrance and dispersion. A fair launch is scarcely possible today. The stakes are too high, and large investment funds will scoop up all available supply before the public, rendering it hardly different from a pre-mine. The only way to imitate Bitcoin's truly fair distribution is to inherit it. So, in the final calculus, if Satoshi's Bitcoin fails, so be it it will have failed gloriously. A worthy successor will definitionally be one which incorporates the $19 billion worth of accumulated minor work and resumes atop Bitcoin's fairly distributed UTXO set. The fair launch is just as essential a design characteristic as the supply schedule is. Thus, Bitcoiners need not worry. They own a claim on current Bitcoin, but also all of its most viable descendants if, for whatever reason, version 1 doesn't pan out. Parting Thoughts I'll leave you with this. There is no optimal non-zero rate of monetary issuance. The issuance or dilution rate is a political question, not an engineering one. Always there are groups that will stand to benefit by increasing the flow of new units groups that are protocol proximate and can potentially exploit the new flow, Cantillon insiders. And conversely, there will be groups who will push back against new issuance because they already have a share of supply and don't want more dilution. All monetary debates boil down to this. 
a conflict between those who benefit from a loose money regime and those who suffer from it. The only way to arrest these political squabbles is to take monetary discretion off the table from day zero, as Satoshi did. Any positive rate of issuance is completely arbitrary, and the pro-inflationists will always be able to argue that a small increase will bring a large gain, for instance, to finance some new infrastructure project. Thus, the anti-inflationists who occupy a non-zero issuance regime will forever be open to attacks from the pro-inflationists, and the rate of issuance will always be a political pawn. In short, you cannot commit to a stable, non-zero monetary rule, because there is no stable, non-zero equilibrium. Bitcoin breaks the cycle, entirely removing any discussion of monetary rules and instead ordaining an initial release or vesting schedule. The rules of the game were clear even before the first block was mined. No one can complain that they were hard done by or that the issuance rate took them by surprise. Thanks to the beauty of proof of work, issuance is a competitive free market process with no special privileges to protocol insiders. So Bitcoin is genuinely new in that it entirely removes monetary discretion from the equation. No other monetary system has done this before, and as far as I can tell, none has done it since. I have yet to come across a Bitcoin alternative that can credibly allege to be truly non-discretionary in its monetary features. This uniqueness is important and worth preserving. Instituting monetary discretion is completely mundane and exactly how every government and central bank already operates. Non-Bitcoin crypto elites would just have a substitute central banks for protocol architects, but that's an old story, and it's not one I'm particularly interested in. So Bitcoin, Satoshi Bitcoin, Bitcoin with 21 million units, that's a grand, bold experiment in eliminating monetary discretion. It's the only remotely new monetary project at play here. Everything else is just a high-tech reinstitution of what we already have. Monetary arbitrariness, which allows elites to plunder a torrent of new issuance for their own gain. If it fails, so be it. We will pick up the pieces and move on, and Bitcoin will spawn a worthy successor, which will have to be called something else but it's worth putting a marker down and believing in something. Otherwise, we have nothing. And that was Don't Fear the Reaper by Nick Carter on his Medium page. Obviously, I will link to this in the show notes so you can go give it a thorough applause. But before we get into Guy's take on this, let's go ahead and hit our sponsor and we will jump right back in. So this piece is really reminiscent of the one we read uh, not too long back by Phil Geiger from Unchained. Uh, 21 million is non-negotiable. Um, and it also uh, really has, um, uh, like, like there's uh, been numerous pieces that we've read, like the, the changing narratives of Bitcoin uh, and then like Hasu's uh, article about defining Bitcoin 
I think Nick Carter even had one on this. I don't know. We've probably read four or five pieces about trying to define what it is about Bitcoin that makes it Bitcoin. What's the quote unquote social contract? Oh, that's one of them. Unpacking Bitcoin's social contract as well. Um, and that there's almost always like somewhere between like three and five elements. And uh, uh, one of those is uh, verification. That is like what we really saw with the block size debate. and um, uh, also just kind of the nature of the debate against hard forks, um, but that everyone should be able to verify the supply, that it should be easily um, verifiable what a Bitcoin is, and that should be as decentralized as possible. Obviously, there's a degree of going back, you know, like we can't turn the 360 gigabytes of blockchain that we have now into two gigabytes. Like there's there's no solution there, but that we should never sacrifice the ease with which we can do it now so that in the future uh, we can potentially make it more decentralized and easier to verify and therefore obviously more secure against any sort of attack or any violation of uh, you know valid transactions, the valid issuance schedule, et cetera, et cetera. But one of them in every single one of them was 21 million. And then there's Phil's piece, 21 million is non-negotiable. Like that is so much the heart of Bitcoin um, that it's, it's, you, can, you can't disconnect the two. I mean, like Nick Carter says it in this. The, one of the most important things about this protocol is that like, Bitcoin supply schedule cannot change because Bitcoin is the supply schedule. That is what makes Bitcoin Bitcoin. Um, and the fact that 21 million is one of the strongest memes in this space um, makes it all the harder to change. I mean, think about all the things that could change around it that obviously just wouldn't be a problem. We can completely change the signature scheme. Who cares? We can completely change how we write the transactions. Okay, if as long as it's secure and it's valid and everybody can verify it, that's, not, that's, that's a means to an end, right? It doesn't really matter if there was like a threat or a risk to that and we had to do it differently. All right, cool. But what is unique about Bitcoin? And this is also why I say that um, it's not until people dig into the question of what is money and uh, really get at the heart of Bitcoin as its monetary policy, as a monetary protocol, that people really begin to understand what its value is. And uh, uh, that, that having schedule and the 21 million limit and the fact that the issuance schedule that the monetary policy has not budged one Satoshi since the Genesis block, that is the thing that defines Bitcoin. That is the thing that Bitcoin is. And if that means, I, I think I said this actually in one of the articles, maybe it was 21 million is non-negotiable, can't remember exactly. I have the links to that one in the show notes if you want to listen to it um, and you haven't yet. But I've said over and over again that if we ever have to break the inflation schedule, we don't call it Bitcoin. Bitcoin dies with 21 million, period. And obviously it would be a hard fork. Obviously it would be an entirely new network that people would have to switch over to. It would be a wholly different asset. But I would not personally, even if it was the only way to keep Bitcoin, quote unquote Bitcoin alive, the, the UTXO set as we have it, I would not call it Bitcoin. Um, and I would insist that we do not call it Bitcoin, period. It does not deserve that name. Bitcoin dies with 21 million. Uh, 
and and you know live or die that is going to be the experiment that we tried and stuck to and uh infinitely hard money one with a perfectly defined predefined predetermined monetary schedule and that we never deviated otherwise it is a different money literally all the other stuff can change how we even store the blockchain how much we need to store to prove it whether or not we've moved on to lightning channels and bitcoin just becomes a settlement layer for a layer two and a layer three system and the way we even think about payments or transactions completely changes none of that matters again all of that is a means to an end to enable the decentralized verification the decentralized defense and distribution of the infrastructure of the network itself and the securing of the 21 million units and Nick Carter makes it perfectly clear in this that that is what's interesting. That is what makes Bitcoin entirely unique is that it has removed, and I've, God, I don't, I just, for anybody who doesn't get this yet, the whole reason Bitcoin is a fascinating and unique experiment in the history of all money is that there is no political question over what the monetary policy is. It is no one's discretion. It has been eliminated. You either play by the rules and the monetary policy as it is, or you are not playing Bitcoin, period. That is what makes it a 10,000-year technological innovation. And again, that's the main argument against why hard forks are so dangerous, because it threatens the very essence of what makes Bitcoin what it is. If we're arbitrarily arguing about these core um, these core characteristics that make Bitcoin like what it is, then it, it, again, it's nothing, it's nothing new. It's just, it's a bank that we're all trying to manage at the same time. And we've just got this political squabble over who's on the board and who gets to decide what and who installs which node. Um, and, but that's the uniqueness of it. 21 million is what makes Bitcoin a revolutionary monetary asset. It is simply not up for debate. And the fact, it's, it's really a projection of all the crypto bros, uh, of everybody in crypto, that they think that, oh, Bitcoin is going to have to change the inflationary, like the inflation schedule because it won't be secure enough. Like, and, you know, Nick Carter makes a great point that anything that is non-zero is just arbitrary. Um, and it's kind of the same thing with the block size is that, that you know, during the debate, during the whole block size wars and that whole debate, how many, how many different proposals were there? There were like a hundred. Like I felt like there was a new one every week from some other developer or some other person in the community. Why? Because there's no shelling point. There's no specific outside. As soon as you leave the, oh, like uh, we're going to keep it within the rules that we currently have and we're hard forking to whatever the new rule is, there's no shelling point. There's nothing to agree on because it's all arbitrary. Like, you know, it's not as if like four megabytes suddenly just solves the scaling problem indefinitely or that two megabytes is just not quite enough or that a gigabyte, like, like all of it, none of it solves the problem. It, the scaling problem is an infinite one. So there's no solution. There's, there's no non-political solution. And again, it's not an engineering question. It's just kind of arbitrary as to how far we want to kick the can down the road or if we want to 
like like after we change it once, well, then now it's just a precedent that we're as long as somebody's angry enough about it or thinks that it's important enough, well, then it's up in the air again to change it down the road. Uh, and to do that, to, to make to set that precedent with something like block size is to indicate that basically the inflation schedule might be of the same sort of matter. There's no shelling point outside of the non-zero. It immediately just becomes a political fight. And one of the lines I highlighted in this that just hits it so well after a paragraph of kind of reiterating this whole concept, um, but the, the final thing of this just hits it on the, the, the nail right on the head. You cannot commit to a stable non-zero monetary rule because there is no stable non-zero equilibrium. As soon as it's non-zero, there's no stability. It's all arbitrary. It's all like, isn't 3% better than 1% if supposedly our argument is to how much quote-unquote security we have isn't more better? There's simply no objective answer to fall on. So it's, it's suddenly in the realm of politics. And like he says, that's the same old story. That's where we came from. That's the whole thing that Bitcoin solves. And as soon as we turn it back into a political question, there's nothing interesting about it. It's just a new database that we're arguing over the monetary policy. We've just exchanged central banks for protocol uh, designers or whatever it was, architects. And see, this is the reason, this is the whole reason that I have a problem with Ethereum. Like, I don't even care if something interesting is being made on it because I don't think they have any idea that this is a monetary invention that the reason Bitcoin is revolutionary is specifically because of this question. And the ETH schedule, like monetary schedule, has been all over the place. Um, and it's set to change again. It's, it's literally, they've hard forked to change it multiple times, and it's like some voted on thing with the miners. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and monetary stability is, is the reason Bitcoin is the most powerful money in the world, is you don't have to question. You don't have to wonder who's deciding what the monetary policy is. You have an independent monetary asset, same as gold. Like, that's why it's the digital gold. There's no boardroom that decides how much gold is going to be found. Like, there's, there's not a, there's not a, how many atoms in gold are we going to have it in? Is mercury going to be considered gold? Like, no, gold just is. It's a natural monetary asset with a natural, unchangeable monetary schedule. And in that exact same way, Bitcoin is revolutionary because it's done that in the digital space. It can't be changed. Therefore, its monetary properties simply are. And as soon as that's out the window, I would never call that thing Bitcoin anymore. And that's just one of the most fascinating things about it. Like he says in this, that like the fact that we have that firm vision, like that there is that un... Uh, unapologetic, like unmoving, hard view as to what is the Bitcoin, what makes it uh, Bitcoin, and that 21 million is definitionally attached to it. They, it is that. 21 million is Bitcoin. Bitcoin is 21 million. Is that it gives us a, a concrete thing in the social sphere to rally around. So that we know when a change makes it not Bitcoin and when a change is just there to protect Bitcoin. 
like I said earlier, new signature schemes or a new way to do transactions or a new transaction type or whatever it is. Those things clearly don't, uh, don't risk what Bitcoin is because they are a means to the defining or to the defense of uh, its ability to hold an independent predetermined monetary schedule. So great article. Another awesome one from Nick Carter. Uh, probably still my favorite. This one's pretty up there, but probably still my favorite from Nick is uh, a most peaceful revolution. Um, Cats out of the bag is pretty good too. Nah, it's it's a most peaceful revolution. If you haven't listened to that one, you've got to. Um, and I do a guy's take episode as like the follow up on that one because it's a it's a bit of a longer read, but it is just so good. If you haven't uh, listened to it yet, um, those two episodes. Ugh, I'm not I'm not even sure which episode numbers. Let me see if I can find it really quick. Um, uh, peaceful is probably the easiest search here. Come on, load page, load. Uh, this is just such a good piece. It's like one of those things that just gets you like super jacked. Um, uh, uh, reading it and listening to it. Okay, it's uh, read 293, and then uh, the episode immediately following it, guys, take 23, uh, and they are both about that, that Bitcoin is about a revolution and about essentially overthrowing the the monetary regimes of old and to have something new completely novel to replace them and like he says in this you know like if we're if we've just turned it into a a digital bank where we're all voting on what the monetary policy is there's nothing new about it there's nothing new about it the fact that it's got a blockchain who cares what the what the hell's the real difference there like i'm just logging into a different app to do it it's uninteresting the interesting aspect of this is its independent monetary policy that cannot be changed because the protocol can be defended by every node that runs the software. So uh, with that, uh, I will have the links in the show notes to, uh, what would it be? Uh, a Most Peaceful Revolution by Nick Carter, um, uh, 21 Million is Non-Negotiable by Phil Geiger, and then my guy's take, uh, I, think, I think that's it. I'll listen back through and see if I uh, mentioned something else. But thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this read. Um, don't forget to drop some applause. I will have the Medium article in there as well, so you can go check it out. And of course, if you're not following Nick Carter, you are missing out. He's always releasing good stuff like this and has, has, has the best Twitter takes. So definitely follow Nick Carter if you want some more of that digital gold. If you want to support this show and support the audification of all all of the best works in Bitcoin. You can always join my Patreon at patreon.com slash the cryptoeconomy. And of course, don't forget to subscribe. But one way you can always support the show if you know you don't want to throw some sats my way or you 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 know sometimes it's hard to donate a fiat to that you can always just share it out. You know, share it with everybody you know in the Bitcoin crypto and whatever space and the people who are just touching on the edge of that rabbit hole and are interested, send them my way. Send them to Guy Swan. He's read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know, and I'll tell you all about it. So that'll do it for today. Bitcoin is 21 million. 21 million is Bitcoin, and there's no changing it. I am Guy Swan, and until next time, take it easy, guys.
This has been a 111 production, and you are listening to Bitcoin Audible on the Crypto Economy Network.